We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, but today doesn't feel that way. We are divided in more ways than one, and the media and the powers that be all have their own agenda. The people of this great nation no longer care about the truth, they only care about the side they are on. At Poor360, I am trying to change that. We're bringing you the facts and history so we can all learn something and make our own decisions. Tune in every Tuesday to be a part of that journey. Following, following the following is a journey into comics. Journey into comics. A journey into comics. A journey into comics. Journey into comics. Journey into comics. Network. 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 Production. Production. Went forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? Fourteen million six hundred five. How many did we win? Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Journey Into Comics, the podcast that's dedicated to everything nerd. With your host, the podfather himself, Nate Phillips, and introducing his new co-host, Tyler McLaughlin. You should have gone for the head. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another episode of Journey Into Comics. It's Journey into Comics 260. I am your host, Nate. Today joining me, welcome back to the show, my co-host. You guys know him and love him. How's it going, Tyler? I am all vacationed out and refreshed and ready to do this show. We're tweencations right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I just... We're, sque- I just fin- we're squeezing this one in. I just in. finished mine, and now you're getting ready to go do yours. Well, by the time this airs, I'll actually be prepping to get on a plane home, but... In order for this to work right, we were like, we're going early in the week. We don't care. There's not been a ton of news. There's been some stuff, but we've got some stuff to cover. Before that, though, how was your vacation? It was great. What did you do? Uh, I basically just chillaxed. Had had a lot. Great word, chillaxed. I had a lot of good food. Uh, I had I had uh, numerous adult beverages, which I don't normally do, but I was on vacation, so. Fuck it. Had yeah, had to had to live it up. Spent a lot of time at the beach and in the pool and got a nice tan going. The drive to and from wasn't bad at all. Ruby was a saint in the car, so it's huge. That's a huge win. It it, it was very difficult to get in the car and come home. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that. Oh man, uh, so you, where'd you guys go exactly? Panama City, Florida. Sweet. Awesome. Panama City is a nice place. Uh, when I had family that I was still in contact with, they lived in Fort Walton mm-hmm. Beach and also Shalimar. So I definitely know that whole area and the panhandle and whatnot. Beautiful. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You sent me some gorgeous shots from your vacation. Be, be super happy and whatnot. Yeah, the Gulf is fantastic. Uh, how long was the drive there? Uh, right around 13 hours. We- That's not terrible we made we made a lot better time coming home um just because i wasn't super super tired and you know i pretty much drove 80 to 85 all the way home um since we were driving at night on the way down i was a little bit more reserved um dear well yeah that and you know there's certain stretches of of the the highway depending on which way you go where you're driving in pitch black with, 
with um you know forest on either side of the of the highway and you never know when a fucking black bear or something's going to run out in front of you and I I don't want to hit a black bear going 85 miles an hour you know so fuck no you don't no but no we I don't care what vehicle in <laughs> you're in you're having a hard time with that uh-huh but no we had we had a great time i mean it's been a long time since i've had you know, like the 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 family beach vacation. So it it was nice. It was much needed. You got to recharge your batteries. Mm-hmm. Did you have any interesting things or stories that happened on your travels or or during the actual vacation that stood out? That was like, oh shit, this is I can't wait to talk about this. Uh, I ran into some hillbillies from Kentucky. Uh, Totally not expecting this. Okay, please continue. So at, at the condo that we stay at, there's a like a tiki bar on the lower level. You can walk out of the tiki bar and then walk right onto their, their private stretch of beach, which is really nice. And they have daily drink specials and stuff like that. So you um, you're encouraged to to have some to have some beverages. And uh, you know, I, I walked up I was getting Skylar and I some margaritas, and these there's like four or five hillbillies sitting at the bar. I I could tell they're hillbillies just walking up. I just got that vibe, and come to find out they're from they they they're from Kentucky. They rode their motorcycles down from Kentucky. They got in the night after us. Immediately started drinking. They were fucking hammered, <laughs> and. Uh, they didn't even go to sleep. They just got hammered, which was, you know, hilarious. But, you know, they had like an impromptu Trump rally like at the bar while I was sitting there. Oh, Jesus. And I was like, you know, I don't really want to get into a big argument with with Kentucky hillbillies while I'm on vacation. I just want to rest, relax, and recharge. But like always, I've, I've got to be a little bit of an instigator. So I started... You know, throwing some facts at them and and giving some different perspectives, and by the end of it, I had the majority of the little group on the anti-Trump side, which was which is pretty pretty funny, and just goes to show how you know not necessarily un- uneducated because I, I I truly believe that a lot of the people that support Trump, you know, number one are uneducated on on the the topic itself, but. It's not entirely their fault because they're getting they're getting bamboozled or or misled and, and indoctrinated the same way that Hitler did the German people. It's very easy to do in times of stress and you know you 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 latch onto a theme and then you run with it and you know once people become educated that's a little bit harder to do. So it ended up being a, a pretty comical experience and you know we ran into each other a couple times and you know, never exchanged um, harsh or hateful words. It, it, it was actually pretty nice, which which I didn't expect for sure. That's awesome. That's interesting that you go to Florida to get away from the chaos. You get parked right next to essentially what could be chaos. Mm-hmm. You kind of made the best of, a, of, a, of what could be a shit sandwich, really. I mean, you know, uh, but I think that you nailed it when you said, you know, it's it's not necessarily just the uneducated, but the, the you know, who is the most easy to give hope to it's those who are completely impoverished and 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 don't feel like they have Mm -hmm. hope so when you have someone like trump that says the things that certain types of people want to hear 
it does make sense that those certain types of people, not to quote-unquote stereotype, are going to drive their train there. And, of course, you had people who were very educated who were just looking for a not-Hillary alternative. Right. And, and and that's why we're in the mess we're in, you know. But um, it's cool that you defused and handled the situation in a way that is really becoming of you as a person. You know, a lot of people, I think, in this modern era think that if you're uh, opposing views of someone or don't necessarily get their their ground or where they come from that you have to immediately be enemies and you were you were very tactful so that's awesome to hear yeah it was it was a really enlightening uh kind of experience because the majority of these people were were probably in their early 50s if not early 60s i mean i you know i didn't ask them their age but from from what I saw from their appearance they looked to be close to early retirement age you know so to get to have a conversation that is so I mean it's like drop it's like it's like dropping a match in a can of gas and not expecting it to to explode you know what I mean um you're taking quite a big risk here yeah and um you know it, it was really enlightening because they didn't you know th- their generation specifically especially right now is is so hostile towards our generation because what they think that we've done to ruin you know quote unquote ruin our nation um you know they were really really casual and just you know here's why i think this is the way that it is and blah 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 and you know and some of the stuff that they said is reasonable and i agreed with it and you know, I rebuttaled, and it was just really calm, and and we had a good time. You know, we shared a few drinks together. So, that 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 very rarely happens in America today. So, that was a really really good experience, and it it was funny too because they were down. They actually came to uh, Panama City for what was it called, Skylar? The 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 the, the what? The Gulf Coast Jam. So it was like this impromptu musical festival that I've never heard of before, but it was Kid Rock, Jason Aldean, and Tim McGraw. Whoa. So, you know, a couple pretty good artists there, all all successful, uh, you know, in their own right. But apparently Saturday night, uh, Jason Aldean was supposed to come on stage at, at 10 o'clock or, or like 10.05, and at 10 p.m., just said fuck it, I'm out, and got on his tour bus and left and canceled. At you know, like fu- like five minutes before the show was supposed to start. So, you know, that's pretty shitty. What was the reason? Do you know? I, I never heard a reason. I talked to them the next day because, like I said, that's why they that's why they drove all the way down there was to to go to this uh, music fest. And you know, they were pissed, obviously, because that was one of the reasons that that they wanted to to go to that event and he said the the main guy that i was talking to said he gave no reason he gave no warning he said if you were close enough to the stage you could see him like you could see him get ready to come out and then at 10 p.m when it was his time to go he said you know what fuck it i'm out and just got on his tour bus and left you know so i don't (laughs) i don't know if like maybe he was Got some bad information and then was terrified of the hurricane. You know, Dorian's on the total, totally opposite coast of where we were at. You know, we're in the Gulf. Dorian was on the East Coast. It hadn't even started hitting the Bahamas yet at that point. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Damn, that's... 
as a musician, I can't I can't ever say that I would be willing to put that much effort into not doing a show. You know what I'm saying? Like to get there, to be right there at the stage, and not just fucking shut the fuck up for 35 minutes and do your job. Like it's not that hard. You have the, one of the greatest gigs in the world is entertaining. Right. And for someone at that level to, I mean, and, and, and listen, I'm sure maybe he has his own reasons. Maybe the fucking promoter was a racist fuckbag and he just couldn't. He said, I don't want your money. I won't play. Fuck right. off. And, and that's an altruistic reason. I'm all, I'm all for that. Cool. But if it was just some rock star bullshit jumped off stage because he just couldn't hang or handle right. it, that's on you, man. You signed up for this mm-hmm. shit. No one made you try to become a star, a celebrity, or a musician of that nature. No one put you through the ropes. You did. Absolutely. So don't fucking hoe your fans. That's silly. And like and like I said, I never, um, I never saw the actual reasoning on on why he canceled last minute like that. You know, like you you said there 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 may have been or very well may have been uh, you know, good justification there. But it 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 was funny because you know we had such an awkward. Like, when I meet people for the first time, I don't just kick the front door down and be like, here's all my political views, and here's my religious views, and, and, and you know, that's kind of... You can't go full-blown Tyler. Right. and that's, <laughs> <clears throat> that's kind of how um, our conversation started, and, you know, and, 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 <laughs> and for the rest of the time that we were there, or at least us, Skylar and Ruby and I, you know, we had good interactions with, with, with that group of people. Skylar and I went out... Um, for a like pseudo date night one night and we saw them you know getting ready to take off on their motorcycles uh when we were leaving the parking lot and we stopped to talk to them for a few few minutes so it's uh like i said earlier it totally surprised me and and it was nice you know it, it it just added that like icing on top to being relaxed on vacation so you just gave me an idea that could be a huge reality tv money making uh, idea. It's going to be stolen as soon as we say it here, but trademarked on Journey into Comics first, motherfuckers. You heard it here first on September the 4th at 6.41 is when I'm recording this, just for uh, legal purposes. What if there was a show where people of different political and religious backgrounds were sent on vacation together? Man, that'd be, that'd be, that would be pretty pretty nuts, I would imagine. Because here's my thought. I think about the situation you were in, and I think if that same scenario plays out, you're in Lafayette, you walk into Walmart, there's some Kentucky redneck hillbilly motherfuckers there spouting their Trump propaganda and saying all kinds of shit. You interject. There's a war. Guns might be pulled. Mm-hmm. Like It would be bad. Right. But because you were on vacation and the guise of vacation existed, everyone was calm enough to just be like, let's just listen. Yeah. Let's just hear each other out for a minute. Like that's I'm telling you, man. NBC, I'm calling your asses. Yeah, that's a that's a fucking. I was gonna say, mate, game changer. We, we might need to reach out to like MTV, NBC, fucking CNN might even do it. I I mean, we we need we need to start calling people. I'm down. Let's do this. Let's <laughs> fucking pitch our show. Hostile vacation. That's what you call I mean, it. The hostile vacation. If fucking wife swap can get popular, surely, surely, oh, surely we can make some bank on this. Because then you, I mean, there's so many interesting things. Like, I just see, like, the men who are, who maybe have similar but kind of totally politically different views are talking, and then the women are having a little, like, date night, and they don't give a fuck, and they've bonded. So that's like, 
you know, internet gold and everyone's like, oh, look at what great friends they are, you know, but these guys are like, it's a drama, man. It just fucking sells itself. Reality TV, man. Anyways, let's not give away the whole cow shit. (laughs) (laughs) So by the time folks are hearing this, I am fucking four days into bliss. I'm going to call it. I'm just going to guess that this is about to be a really good vacation for me. I haven't had a real true vacation in three years since the band started going full-time. We really haven't had the opportunity to get away for more than 15 minutes. I mean, I guess you consider all the shows we play in all the different places we've been to kind of been on vacation, but we're always working. We're always doing something. You're you're, you're traveling for work. This time we are traveling for pleasure. Well, I mean, in so many words. Uh, I'm going to talk about it now because I've not talked about it anywhere. So we were invited to Denver. It's not like we just decided, like, fuck it. Let's just... uh, we're going to just go to Denver and have a good old time. Uh, when the girls were doing Casual Fiend Friday, we got a really very lovely message <clears throat> from Doyle of the Misfits who invited us to their show. He said, listen, you guys on my guest list, let's do it. And um, through a lot of controversy of trying to make this vacation happen... We are there. We have booked a flight. We have booked our hotel, which got changed this morning because the hotel room we booked was gone before we booked it, and they still booked us, yep. which is fucking dumb. Kind of pissed me off, but got upgraded to a nicer setup, so that's cool. <clears throat> uh, all in all, I am really looking forward to getting away and just being not where I've been, not having to worry about any of the shit that goes on in my day-to-day or any of the things we've got to constantly be focused on, you know, I'm I'm going to be bringing the laptop, of course, but all the podcasts have been recorded. Everything's scheduled. That's why we're doing this on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing for me to do on vacation while I'm gone other than to hang out and have what is, I'm sure, going to be some form of a blissful experience. Yeah, you're going to get off that airplane in Denver, and it's going to be like... Walking into the fields of Elysium, there's just gonna be, there's just gonna be nugs raining from the sky. <laughs> they're gonna put, they're gonna put like a necklace around you, like a lay when you get off in the in the Polynesian Islands, and it's just gonna be joints. Oh my God, that'd be heaven. That's heavenly. I'm into that. See, and that's a crazy thing. I'll be going to a state where it's recreationally legal, so me talking about it is uh, not a big deal, allegedly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, no, man, I'm really looking forward to this trip. Denver seems like a nice place. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of different activities and places we want to go. We've got some friends out there, which is cool, because then we can connect with people in that regard, you know. Um, but all in all, like, I'm just really jazzed jazzed beyond a shadow of a doubt to to see the misfits again that's going to be a cool experience but then i kind of get this neat little redemption where a few months ago for sarah and v's birthday we got tickets to see the damned we saw the damned and when i went to that concert i had a fucking full-blown monster migraine the worst one of the worst you know migraines i've ever had so i didn't really get a chance to enjoy the damned when we saw them i was really just hurting and wanting to be done with the experience so much so. And I think I said this after we podcasted, I actually had V drive home. Cause I was like, I'm not in any shape to drive. Like it was that bad. So 
to see the damned in this capacity where we're there under different circumstances in a different state, having the redemption to see that band is really fucking cool. Being able to see the misfits again is really fucking cool. This will now be my second time seeing the OG misfits out of their 10 shows. Uh, but you know, I don't know what to expect from this trip. We're really going to have to be covering it more on 261 when I come home because I will have, I'm sure tons of stories Mm -hmm. to tell. You know, I'm I'm really glad that that you and the girls are are getting a, a legit vacation where you guys can just kick back and let loose and enjoy yourselves because you guys all deserve a good vacay. So, yeah, I mean, it's weird to think about, and this is what I've kind of been, <clears throat> you know, talking to them about as we've been gearing up for this trip is that we really have worked our asses off for three years and put a lot of miles on our bodies. And really did irreparable damage to ourselves through all these shows we've played. I mean, there's no denying, you know, Sarah's fingers are different now because the way she plays. She's hurt. Her pinkies have, like, slight deformalities, I guess you'd say. And just, like, starting to callus really bad. And V's, you know, bones hurt more and more just because, of, oh, my Lanta, what is that? Is that a dildo? What I'm is opening that? a bottle of wine. Oh, live on the podcast. This is awesome. Gonna drink th- You're going to hear the po- I'm going to drink this whole bottle of wine while I'm sitting here. <laughs> you need a little glass of the bubbly? That's a Chris Jericho reference. I don't know. Did you hear about that shit? I saw the video that he posted, but I didn't I don't have any um point of reference. Okay, so he won the All Elite Wrestling's first world championship and then that was cool. And then he went to a Longhorn Steakhouse after he like he got to Tallahassee he flew into Tallahassee and when he got to Longhorn Steakhouse he realized that he did not have the right luggage he had taken someone else's luggage so he told his limo driver he said look i need you to take my luggage this luggage back to the airport and come back well he did the only problem is, is that Jericho had left the AEW World Championship in the back of the limo while the driver was in the airport, someone jumped in the limo and stole the actual championship Jesus. belt. <laughs> they they just crowned. And so, crazy enough, today, the Tallahassee police have reported they found the belt. It is in perfect condition. It was found alongside of the road, if you can believe that. Um, but, yeah, Jericho cut a promo in a uh, hot tub, and he was like, all I can do now is have a drink of the bubbly. It's really funny to watch you try to struggle with the bubbly. It's it's like there's almost an off-screen dick that you're just working. Oh, and just I just mentioned dick and it popped right off. <laughs> that looks gross. That looked like it's, poo. It's a cork. Yeah, but it was it was very poo. <laughs> so, I'm a A vino. I'm a not a not a, a wino, but I'm a big fan of I like that cork. Skyler's just Hell Sky, yeah, get it, girl. Skyler's just chugging it get too. It. Get it, Please girl. Please pour me a glass of that. So more more about me. Uh I I <laughs> I have for a long time Go on. enjoyed wine, you know, since I was an early kid slash teenager um you know because i I lived in in europe a long time up until i was in my my teens 
and they have different drinking laws there. Yeah, I mean, wine wine was just kind of a part of it, just all the time, you know. And um, I have a I'm not gonna say like really really developed palate when it comes to wine, but I know what I like and I know what I don't like. Um, I do not really like sweet wine unless it's fruit wine, which is my favorite. So there is a winery in Florida called... Stand by. Sure. It's on the cork that you just had in your hand. Stand by. Sure, please. It's fine. No big deal. Trying to figure out the name of this cool place. It's Florida Tropical Fruit Winery, something like that. But their slogan is not a grape in the bunch. So all of their their wines are made 100% from fruit. It's not a grape. And when I say, obviously I know that grape is a fruit, folks. Don't lynch me for that, but. Um, I know what you mean. They're not they're not grape wine. So thank you very much. My loving wife just brought me a bottle of what is quite possibly my favorite wine ever. Yeah, I'm I'm probably gonna drink this. Winning. I'm probably gonna drink this bottle of wine tonight. But anyway, um, so anyway, we we go and 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 I I have had some wine from this winery, but I've never been before. Um. And, you know, we do a wine tasting. This was Friday. We go back again on Saturday and do another tasting. All different. We, we chose all different wines that time. And I don't like grapefruit. But one of the... I've, I've talked about it. I, I don't know on this show or not, but I, I know for sure I have on Podcastrophe. One of my favorite wines... Or not wines. It, uh, one of my favorite sodas is uh, Squirt. Which until the last time I saw you, which was at your house, mm-hmm. I did not know was in fact a grapefruit soda. Yep. What? It's a it's a grapefruit thirst quencher. And one of the wines that we selected uh, on this list was a uh, grapefruit. And the lady doing a wine tasting says, Well, I'm gonna let you taste this. Because you chose the grapefruit wine, you get to taste an additional wine immediately before it. And I was like, okay. She said, we're going to let you try the, our passion fruit wine. Because for everyone that says they want a grapefruit wine, they say that the passion fruit wine tastes more like grapefruit than the actual grapefruit wine itself. So so we try this passion fruit wine, which is what I'm drinking right now. And it, I mean, it's like biting into a grapefruit without the nasty taste. You know, there's no afterbite. Well, it's no, it's it's not. It's just it's the it's it's tart. It's the way that it's the way that it makes your mouth feel, which is why I like grapefruit so much. But I don't like the taste of grapefruit. Um, long story short, I fucking immediately bought a bottle of this fucking wine. So tangent after tangent, my man. I'm sorry. No, you're all right. Now you're jamming on this delicious wine. Is this the same place that you sent the picture of the beer from? No. We were different at, place. No, we were at a restaurant eating lunch. And uh the first beer that I sent, I was at a place called Hammerhead Fred's, 
where I got a delicious fish sandwich of my favorite variety of fish, which is cool because that doesn't happen very often. And uh, I had some some beer from a from a Flor- Floridian brewery, and then later in the week I I went and got some beer from my favorite place in Florida, which is Destin. So. Hell yeah, man. It was a win-win across the board on your vacation. Sounds like you had a blast, man. Oh, hell yeah, man. My story is going to be, I tried this bud, and I tried this flower, and I couldn't bring any of it home. Fuck. You know, Which, uh, actually... You know in the in the movie uh, Grandma's Boy? Yeah, I love that movie. When they do the, the, um, the Frankenstein... Yes. You need that's what how you need to be before you get on the airplane. On the way mm-hmm. home? Totally. You know what I learned though? What's that? Vapes and e-cigarettes you can actually take as your carry-on. So, I don't know if that includes those though because you're not supposed I mean, to be like able gonna... to take you're not supposed to be able to take vapes on an airplane because it's an explosion risk. Well, th- I, we just read on Southwest, and it says for carry-on, yes, but for your checked bag, no. Mm. Do you think that's because the lower cabin is depressurized? Probably. And because, of, and then because the actual cabin that you're sitting in is pressurized, it has a better option and opportunity not to explode. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I'm going to ask people, like, can I fucking fly with this pen? Is that cool? Mm-hmm. If they say no, I'm going to be like, fuck. Okay. That's all right. Not the end of the world. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be it'll be a fun time. Like I said, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of stories to come out of that. But uh, from there, man, you know, it's been a while since we've been back together. You weren't on last week because, like I said, you're on vacation. We had Brando fill in. That was a fun time. He uh, had a blast coming back and doing the show. And then we got super slap happy and did what was one of my favorite episodes of the OGs we've ever done. There were just so many laughs had and so many interesting stories that we forgot and were able to recall and reminisce about uh, and didn't even touch. Like, honestly, I think we only got, like, to 2009 or 10, and we had to stop. We aren't even – we weren't even – and that was two hours of, of, of talking about concerts and right. shit. So uh, I'm, I'm excited for you all to hear that one, but uh, – Anyways, we are journeying to comics. We did just do a nice little long intro, catching up and stuff. Tyler and I didn't get to do that before the show, so it was really nice to do that uh, with you guys. <clears throat> We've got some comic books to actually discuss, my mm-hmm. dude. So one of the the books that we're going to talk about tonight, I had read pretty much as, as soon as it, it dropped. Uh, the second one, however... I read right before the show, and mid-read, uh, Nate and I had already do or had already started doing our pre-show, and I went, "Oh, dude, no fucking way!" So, if you've enjoyed our House of X slash Powers of X kind of review slash breakdown series that we've been doing the last couple weeks. We're not going to go as in depth as we as we have been, just for sake of brevity and time. But I think that these two issues are the best in the series so far, for sure. Oh, and and, and the thing to say, I think that you're going to keep saying that as we build, because every time I'm thinking that, like, it's funny that 
you know, you hadn't read Powers of X 2 until today, and then you, you get this big reveal, and you're like, oh, shit, you know, holy shit, I'm, I'm freaking out right now. And to me, I'm like, that's a huge reveal, but there's like seven more reveals in the upcoming issues that are just like, what the fuck? Across the board, man. I mean, this is... <clears throat> they're starting to weave a really intricate story. And you know, one thing that's interesting to note about the story, before we get too deep into this actual thing, is there have been, well, at least for a minute, it was like a breath of air that this story popped, <clears throat> and then it went dead because as you've read on in the series, you see that it's not anywhere the same, but Jonathan Hickman, who created the series, actually caught some flack, and you found an article that you sent to me mm -hmm. that was this other author who wrote the book Harry August, uh, and essentially it was a war of did plagiarism actually happen, and was it intentional and all these things. Uh, what did you think about that whole situation that was kind of breaking down? Well... Plagiarism is the thing that that I kind of take a weird or I kind of have a weird perspective on because any any artist that draws inspiration from another artist's work whether it was art that came out 10 days ago or 10 decades ago you are you are plagiarizing an aspect of that artist's property I mean if you take if an artist has a blue main character and then you make your character main character blue, I mean, it, it it's kind of the same thing. There was a a phrase that I read a few years ago, and I can't I can't recite it verbatim, but it was basically that every art is an artist's interpretation of what someone else has already done. So as long as it's I mean, not it word for word, line by line, <clears throat> yeah. As long as it is not an, like, if you're not fucking copy and pasting that shit, is it really a problem? You know, and, and I read uh, her accusations, I read his defense, um, I, I think what he said is, is pretty genuine, and... I don't. I don't have any reason to not believe um, that he read the book. He liked the book. He may have used it for inspiration, but it, it, it's not one for one copy. So I, I don't think it was plagiarized. Yeah, I agree with you fully. Uh, I don't think it was plagiarized. I also think that uh, Kirk Hammett said it best. You know, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Now, you might hear that and you might go, oh, that's gross. Like, why would an artist steal? But a great artist can take someone else's concept, something that someone else has fully created, and turn it on its head in such a manner that it's nothing, nothing like the original product. And that right. in itself is art. That is creation. Absolutely. You know? So, uh, you know, and you, you, know, you said it best, too, is like, is it one for one, word for word? No. There's like a story device that this character in House of X that utilizes, that her story revolves around that same kind of device, but that's the whole story, is that one plot device being used again and again and again and again and again to tell a big story as to where, at least to this point, with the character we're about to be discussing today, we've not seen her be such a pivotal role or that mechanism even be used more than in this one issue. Mm 
Totally. You know. So we are talking House of X 2. If you guys haven't read House of X 1, Powers of X 1, or, well, House of X 2, you probably want to tune away now because we are going to be getting into some form of spoilers and there is a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, there are a couple questions that I'm going to have that I don't know if even have arose to you when, you know, we uh, started diving in on this. But uh, to get right into it, we are talking about the life of Moira McTaggart. Now, some of you who've watched the movies will know Moira McTaggart from X2, X3, I think, and then they did away with her character. Uh, but this plot device they use is essentially the belief of reincarnation mm -hmm. or regeneration. Um, and Myra, Moira, I guess it's hard to say Moira, Myra, Moira, Myra. I'm going to figure out which one it is, but... Uh, essentially, we get her first normal life. At least she thinks it's her first normal life, and she dies. And there's nothing really special about her life. She, you know, she almost died when she was very young, but she survives this illness, and you know, lives to have grandchildren and everything and normal. But then, her second life, she's in the womb, and she's remembering her previous experience. She knows of her previous experience, and I think that was a really cool idea and a concept that her mutant power is um i guess would you would you call it re regeneration whatever living i don't how would you really quantify what her power is i would call it um like hmm i don't i don't know because it's kind of like it's not just that she's being reincarnated. She's being reincarnated into herself. Exactly. It's like it's like it's Thank like you. Groundhog Day or or um, Edge of Tomorrow. You know, live, die, repeat. That's essentially <laughs> Groundhog Life. Yes, because she, you know, in this, uh, you know, in these couple panels, when when she is in the womb, and then when she's a toddler, and and you know. She starts walking and talking earlier than she than she should be able to because she knows how to do it intellectually. Um, it, it's when I read this, which was obviously a couple weeks ago at this point, I was floored that you know number one that it was this character. Excuse me, got the wine burps. Oh, that got the wine no burps, but. Uh, not only that it was this character, but in the beginning of this issue, in my mind, the first thing that I thought of was, well, if she, if this is happening, shouldn't she realistically be the most powerful mutant, like, ever? Well, and I think that's kind of what they're playing with is technically yes. in a lot of ways she is because she has one thing no mutant in a existence has, the knowledge of all of mutant time and space. And she's lived it. She keeps living it. Now, there's one interesting thing to note. We go through in this, and we cover, like, her fourth life, her fifth life, her sixth life. And, and interestingly enough, I want to mention this, all these different lives canonize moments that have already existed in Marvel Comics history. Mm -hmm. Not just in the MCU, but in all of Marvel Comics history. Moments from the 80s comics, 70s, 90s, and beyond. Uh, 
So you kind of get these plays of all these different things. And, you know, we get to the end of the book. And we've kind of already experienced the end of the book in this book, mainly because it's all of Powers of X. Correct. Where it's Charles and her on the bench. And he reads her mind. And, of course, now when I read these, that's a cliffhanger when he reads her mind and doesn't know because I read them out of order. So then reading Powers of X1, I was like, oh, my God, that's fucking amazing. Like, she she already knows, and she's trying to guide Xavier into a better mutant life and kind of telling him, like, look, I'm going to use you and you knowing that I've talked to you to go to other versions of you to kind of align our plans to save our kind. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I want to mention in this is that they do show off her timeline, her life timeline. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you noticed anything about that that's interesting? Uh, maybe not what you're noticing. Okay, so just at a first glance, the many lives of Moira X is what they call her. Mm-hmm. And they go through and they talk about year one, you know, her birth, and then when certain things were happening, year eight in the, the academy and her second life and so on and so forth. But one thing to note is there is no sixth life doesn't exist there is no timeline for her sixth life we don't see anything of it we know nothing about it didn't they explain it does that not exist i don't think so unless i'm completely absolutely insane let me see fifth life no they go straight from fifth life to seventh life. seventh yeah they avoid that and i don't know why i'm not sure what they're what they're keeping from that sixth life in this journey. But, you know, of course, as she evolves, she changes the timeline for mutants. She changes the, um, the, what's the word I'm looking for here? The technology and the intelligence. She accelerates the timeline as it were in a lot of these situations, trying to stop the Sentinels from attacking, trying to prevent the mother mold from being created Mm -hmm. and trying all these different things that ultimately, a lot of times don't work for her. She dies a lot of brutal deaths. I mean, yeah, we find out that you know, even though that she's being reincarnated, she basically has a finite amount of times that that's going to happen. Correct. She's almost like the doctor. She can only do it so many times, and then her time is out. Mm-hmm. Um. But interesting to note that according to the timeline, her 10th life, okay, the the 10th life that she's experiencing is where, in her 52nd year of existence, the House of X starts. Mm-hmm. And the modern story is tell, told. And so we don't really know where that ends. She's, it's kind of the mystery where she is in the current time. A lot of her story is told in alternate paths leading to this moment you know so here you know uh go ahead i'm glad that i'm glad that you brought up the 10th life because this is one of the timelines that i'm that i'm a little bit confused on so in her 43rd year of life moira and xavier recruit magneto okay Mm -hmm. at some point in year 47, Moira and Xavier and Magneto all split. Then there's genocide, Moira fakes her death, and then House of X, okay? 
but it but in the issues that we've read so far I don't see any of this 10th timeline playing out and the house of X is something that exists in the timeline that we've been reading so far so much like you said with with the 6th year of life missing I I look forward to a little bit more clarification here on what the hell's going on in her 10th life. Peeling back the layers a little bit to Mm -hmm. figure out what exactly has been going on. I mean, you know, she uses... She's very intelligent in using her knowledge of previous lives to to fuel the change for for mutant kind. Uh, But one thing that's interesting is in some of the more recent issues, and I know you haven't read these yet, I do want to mention they have recently revealed the Krakoan alphabet. Mm -hmm. So you could technically go back through and read what different things are on the pages that you can't technically read when this all first starts because they didn't reveal that. Uh, And then also they have just made some humongous shifts to the landscape of all that is X-Men. Did I lose you? I, I froze for just a second. Oh, so, you were right. So I yeah, I'm 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 glad that you that you brought that up because I am not as far as you in the series. Um since you'll be gone for vacation, I'll be caught up. So the next time that we record, we'll both be on the same page as far as where we're at in the series. Uh, looking at the reading order, you know, we, we talked about how we read um House of X 1 and 2 before we read uh, Powers of X 1. So we read this a little bit out of order. We've talked about that. What I am looking forward to, just just looking ahead, kind of in the timeline here, for ha- Powers and House uh, number 3, which we're going to do when you come back from vacation, if you go next yeah. to House of X 4, Powers of X 4... You've got House of X 4, September the 4th, which came out today. Powers of X 4, which comes out on the 11th. House of X number 5 comes out on the 10th. Or does that say 18th? 18th. Okay. My my screen was pixelated, and I thought it said the 10th. Never mind. Disregard what I was trying to say. <laughs> Damn it. One bottle, by the... one glass of wine, and I'm toasted, folks. Fuck. We're off the rails already, guys. We're <laughs> screwed for the rest of the show. No, we're fine. Uh, uh, I'm curious at what these, in the reading order, what, why there are some of them, only three of the 12 issues that have red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... They're uh, red instead of black. Maybe, maybe Powers of X number six... See, I don't know. Maybe all the red ones are Moira-centric issues. Ooh, could be. That's a good idea. That would be a good way to to make it uh, make sense. She's mainly featured in that second issue. We don't see her again till Powers five or House Five, and then Power Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be a cool way to do it. I think. <clears throat> I mean, Will be- they do it that way? I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean. 
we'll we'll definitely see in the in the coming weeks. But I mean, just glancing at this at this reading order, I mean that's that's the first thing that comes to mind because the first issue that is read in this in this outline is the one that we're talking about right now. So. And if you 100%. look, if you look too, um, well, never mind. That's kind of a stretch. I was going to say, the if you look at the timelines, the the timelines that are truly red are uh, really the middle three. Well, now I got to look. Okay, I see what you're saying. But that's like I said, that's that's kind of a reach and a stretch too. Uh, one thing that I've talked about in every issue that we've talked about so far is the art. Um, I'm still really, really digging, digging the art and the like the uh, the dossier sheets. Um, I I, yeah. I, I want to really spend a minute and talk about how awesome this cover for issue two is. This is one of the I mean this is this is a a style as far as kind of how the covers laid out that that just in comics you've seen a lot but if you look at if you're looking at this like as a prism you know kind of kind of looking at it that way I mean the center is all Moira and then there's all these super influential and important characters surrounding her which means that in my opinion, throughout the rest of the series, we are going to see Moira interact with each and every one of these characters in some capacity. I, I absolutely think that is the way they're going with this. I think that she also... Le- and, you know, here's an interesting thing that I don't think many people maybe noticed. The, the fingerprint and the background around Moira. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a little bit of a fingerprint latching out. And what does that mean? I think that means that, and much like what you just said, she is going to be leaving her fingerprints, as it were, Mm -hmm. all over the history of the X-Men, all over everything. And everything is going to change because of her. Mm -hmm. Like the story that we all know as the X-Men will forever be different because Moira McTaggart alters it in whatever shape, way, or form. You know, maybe the sixth life is a life we don't get to see until later because it's a time-traveled life. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she gets scooped up into the future and then sent back to the past or some shit like Terminator. Who knows? Right. I do really love her in the kind of apocalypse-esque look oh, on yeah. this cover. That's, like, really badass. And she's, you know, got kind of got just some of her different lives you can see there and surrounded by Scott and Magneto and Marvel Girl and Wolverine and Emma Frost and... You got all kind of mystique is on there, blob, you know. Uh, <clears throat> this book, let me tell you, man, good luck finding it. Woo! Flew off the shelves. It's expensive. It's already like a $60 book. Wow. I did not realize that this series was selling so well. It's selling insanely well. It's actually the highest selling Marvel comic in like the past three or so years, I think is what they were saying. Really? Yeah, so it's, I mean, the, the series is doing well. I think people are interested. The story has got people's attention. Obviously, we're covering it, so 
and 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 I think people are, are enjoying our coverage of it. And I think other people are covering it as well, and it's 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 interesting to talk about because it's again, you're looking at the X Men through a different lens. You're not looking as as like a story that lasted ten years. You're looking at it as multiple versions of the same characters and how they evolve or change through the timeline. When I think one thing that's important to point out too is, you know, especially with all the Spider-Man controversy that's happening right now in entertainment, we as fa- as a fan base are ready for the X-Men. I feel like if if this series as great as it is in our opinions had released a few years ago that it may not have struck the same chord as it has so far because we as a fan base were not ready to have the X-Men back. You know what I mean? And now we're salivating for them to be back. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that's, you know, pretty interesting to talk about that, having them ready, they're also back in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And here we go, a really good story. And what have we learned? Not not necessarily directly, 100%. You know, you can't look at it and say it's a one-to-one exact. Marvel, though, has done a really good job of masking their plans for story in the movies within what they're doing in the comics. Here's kind of a uh, like a little trail, you know, back in 2015 they started doing, you know, the whole concept of the new Avengers and you had, you know, Falcon becomes Captain America, there's a Lady Thor, and now all these things are coming to fruition now 4 and 5 and 6 years later. So, I do think that at some point we might get this House of X story. Who's to say Moira McTaggart isn't the reason? that the X-Men get brought in because in her first life when, let's say, the Battle of New York happened and Thanos' snap happened. No, I don't want to fucking close that. Just drop the mouse. <laughs> that was awesome. Live during the podcast. Uh, I fucking hit the wrong button. That's cool. Hopefully I didn't need that. Oh! Um, I don't think I did. I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, luckily for me, I've been preparing for this vacation, so I've been keeping things on the list good. So, anyways, but wouldn't it be interesting if she was, like, just some normal lady who didn't survive the snap, but then she was alive again, and she knew, and she was aware, and she's like, wait, how the fuck do I know this? How the fuck do I know this is coming? And then what does she do in her second iteration? Try to unite the X-Men. Third iteration, try to stop Thanos. Fourth iteration, try to stop mutants from becoming extinct at the hands of humankind. Fifth... And then you have a whole broad story that spawns off thousands of little stories. You could go anywhere in the timeline at that point. Tell whatever story you want. People are going to be hooked. I dig it. Hell yeah, man. Well, I think we should dive into this uh, Powers of X 2, yeah? Mm-hmm. Take the lead on this one, man. You just read this today, so give me your... Uh, walk me through it, I guess, what you thought. So I want to open with with the same way that you would open if you were reading the book... The first, the first uh, panel that you see is one of these dossier sheets, and it, you know, I think, kind of the precedent that they've set with these panels, or not not necessarily these panels, but with the covers, who the issues are about primarily. This is a very Magneto centric story, and the Brotherhood of Mutants, for that matter. But the first dossier sheet that we get is. A quote from Magneto, it says, There is a chasm between you and I, Charles, a gap that cannot be crossed. With each passing day, I fear it never will be, from Magneto. And then we get a very ominous-feeling interaction between uh, Charles, 
Magneto, Mag- yeah, Magneto and Moira McTaggart. Yeah, it's really which I which I did not expect to see her so soon. And you know that's that's actually a really interesting thing about seeing Moira so soon is that you get this really interesting moment where you know you have to realize that in this timeline it's the earliest days of the X-Men right when the series is starting if we're looking at it from a comic book perspective is when this information is mm-hmm. allegedly being given to Magneto and it's flooding his brain and he's seeing kind of the villain he is going to become and it fucking breaks him a little bit man it brings mm-hmm. him down i thought that was a very very powerful moment you know well that 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 panel that that top panel when you get the the information transfer into Magneto, everything that's in purple, you know, it's in his theme, basically. You know, you get to see some really incredible imagery there. You get to see, you know, him fighting a sentinel, Magneto in chains, which is something that we don't get to see that perspective uh, very often because he's he's normally in a place of power. You get to see an interaction of uh, Magneto and Nick Fury, which I really liked. I look forward to possibly seeing Nick Fury a little bit farther on. I think it would be cool to have a cameo from Fury and Shield later on in this series with some of the the, the stuff that we get teased or or some of the stuff that we've already had teased that we now get to dive into a little bit further in this issue. One thing that I want to point out, if you back up just one panel or, or one page, that bottom panel right before um, they do the information transfer, you know, Xavier is basically begging Magneto, just trust me one more time, you know, and you get that iconic, you know, Magneto always takes his helmet off a certain way. He's so like a regal and proper about how he does it. And it's, I was a little bit surprised actually that he was so willing to trust Xavier. You know, obviously you got to fit narratively. You got to do some stuff, but you know, in the beginning of this page, Moira asks, um, Moira asks Magneto, what would ha- or who decides who is evil or not? And Magneto just straight up says, well, sorry, I, I'm the one that does. Yeah, and so. I think that with Magneto deciding, you know, having that decision of who is good and evil wash over him, it kind of overwhelms him as a person, and he realizes that the only way they are ultimately going to not die is to work together. Mm-hmm. And they form a partnership, at least. That's what we see. And I think that's the House of X, uh, age 43 Moira that we talk about. That that's mm-hmm. the moment they formed their partnership before the great uh, schism, which you actually touch on the schism at the very beginning of this with that first dossier page talking about the chasm between him and Charles. Because that right. is fast-forwarding, I think, to that moment after the partnership has already faltered. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. But this is the plan, essentially, to set in motion what happens in uh, year 10, Krakoa. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to find a way to save mutant kind. Uh, we get Scott talking about Orcus and trying to show Magneto and Charles, like, 
they're talking about what Orcus is made of, how it's compartmentalized parts from different people we already know. Mm -hmm. We do get a weird thing, and I'm not sure I understood this yet because I, you know, we haven't fully been revealed everything, but we get a a visual of Nimrod Mm -hmm. way before we've actually been introduced to that character. So I just think that's, uh, you know... That that's where they say Nim, Nimrod will become operational, and mm-hmm. Scott's like, "Oh damn!" Uh, but they all realize that this movement that's coming from Orcus has to be stopped, right? Or they're dead. With with the way that this issue is set up, I'm almost inclined to believe that Nimrod is actually not Charles Xavier in the future. Looking back at it, you know, that is possible. You know, and then of course there's some things you haven't read yet too that change my perspective of who Charles becomes as well. So I kind of agree with you here that maybe this is maybe Nimrod is a form of Magneto. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's something that's right in front of our eyes that we just don't see. Right. But we get X Men Year One Hundred. That's the X Two Life. Mm-hmm. And we have a team of X-Men comprised of Cardinal, Rasputin, Wolverine, Magneto, Zorn. But who are they being led by, my dude? Fucking Apocalypse. Blew your fucking mind, didn't it? It Well, you know, I, I was I was I was reading this while we were doing our pre-show, trying to get up, scrambling because of vacation and everything. And you know, I, I'm getting, I'm on this year 100 panel right when it opens, and I get to the bottom and I see that big blue fucking arm, and I was like, no way, man. And I get, I get to that next panel, and it's just, you get almost in a full body shot of Apocalypse, and the sarcophagus is in the background, and, and, and this is like his antechamber, and everything's all hieroglyphicked up, and it's just, incredible imagery you've got you know the light like the light rays shining off of his armor and everything it just looks incredible i think he says something really deep in this in this set of panels because he has a little bit of a monologue talking about um knowledge and all these things but he says give me your eyes children for this i would have sacrificed all of you it Mm -hmm. means that much it's a different side of Apocalypse we've never seen because there's an alternate version of Apocalypse that would have just killed anything in his path and not really given that much of a shit. Right, because he has that ability. Exactly. This is, he's very much in tune. It almost is emotional. He's almost like saddened by the thought that he, he knows what he has to do and that he might have to sacrifice these people. Totally, totally. It's 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 a perspective... Or, or or kind of um, like a lens that we don't or, or, or we really haven't ever been able to look at Apocalypse through because he's always been just the fucking big bad guy. You know what I mean? Brute fucking strength and brutality. Yeah. And it peels the layer back. It gives him some humanity, which is, mm-hmm. you know, interesting to talk about. Um you know, what do you think about just the sheer force of Nimrod the Lesser? We get to see him just kind of go fucking nuts on some dudes. Well, with the way that his body is structured and everything's going on, you know, 
it it, it kind of makes me feel like maybe he's actually Apocalypse. Oh. But I don't. I I can't say that. You know, everything's purple themed, so. You know, just as far as color schemes goes, you know, it makes me feel like it's Magneto. But, like, you know, he's he's talking to some straight minion-level dudes, and when he's fucking had enough, he's had enough, and he incinerates them. Yep. <laughs> and he just picks up this dude's skull and starts chatting with it. Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's got to continue the monologue. Yes, he does. He can't stop monologuing. <laughs> kind of makes me think it might be Magneto too, because like, hmm, yeah, monologue king, huh? But uh, Nimrod sees the mutants and their plans, and he's like, "Oh, well, we need to stop that now." Also, there's mm-hmm. also Walking Krakoa. Yeah. We have the walking Krakoa. You were right. That is a piece of Krakoa that is sentient. I really wanted to believe that it was Groot, but we can't all all get what we want. So these are all the mutants that are survived on Asteroid K, as we learned. I think in the previous issue, there are only eight of them remaining. Correct. But we had um, one of them, the one that starts with a P. I can't think of that one's name. Percival? Percival dies. And, uh, yeah, things aren't things aren't so smooth right now. Uh, we get them kind of going over their plans and looking at what they're looking for um, with this operation. And I loved this big panel of Wolverine just saying that we're going to have to fight our way in, hold them off while we get the thing and and fight our way out. It's a suicide mission. Like you understand that, right? And Zorn's response is maybe the most perfect thing in this book. I've never been more excited for anything in my entire life. How do you, how do you feel about Zorn? Uh, You know, it's a character I don't really know a lot about. So I'm kind of learning to like this character as kind of a sarcastic, almost, a witty sarcasm to the sensible sarcasm that comes from Wolverine, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Uh, you know, we have some, we actually have another, I don't even know how to explain Nimbus. I don't know if, should we read Nimbus or do we want to try to paraphrase what Nimbus, what they're talking about with Nimbus? Well, I think before we go to that, what we need to really highlight in this final panel before it kind of moves forward is, you know, Wolverine's going on his 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 kind of soapbox, and Big Papa Apocalypse basically says, "This is a promise whose guarantee is assured, for I will lead you." We're going to see Apocalypse wade into battle at the forefront of the remainder of the mutants, and I cannot wait to see this. Oh, yeah. it's uh, You know, this is a storyline you wouldn't expect. He's leading the X-Men for you, for I will lead you. Like That's such a powerful line, and mm-hmm. it's a line that you never would have heard Charles Xavier say. No. I think that's one thing I really resonated with me is when you think about all the times the X-Men were in peril, Xavier was never at the forefront of the battlefield saying, I will lead the charge. Correct. He was always saying, here's the schematics, here's the plan, Storm, I need you to do this, Cyclops, go do that, fucking Jean Grey, do that, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. This is not that. This is very much, um, 
Apocalypse takes the reins, and I think that you nailed it. We're we're definitely going to have to call this episode 260 Big Pop Apocalypse. Yeah, I mean, Apocalypse is is such an interesting character that you know that I'm really 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 excited to to see the layers get peeled back for this character because he's he's always been so one dimensional in the past, and you know. I could spend you and I could spend the next couple hours just talking about Moira's involvement in this series, you know, the implications moving forward. We've touched on that a little bit. How she is now basically the puppet master of the mutant salvation and Apocalypse is her number one tool in this point. He has never been involved until she made him involved in the way that he is. And that is such a unique perspective and, a, and, and a, an original take on the character of Apocalypse that, like I said, he, he's always been so one-dimensional. He's, he's the Thanos. He's, he's the, you know, he is the X-Men's big bad, you know, at its root. So it, it, it's really interesting Um or it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how his plot line plays out moving forward. You asked about Nimbus. I think the best way, and they they talk about it in this kind of dossier, is Nimbus is basically the Kree's super intelligence, but more like on a like on a planet or solar system level. Correct. It's like a, a sentient library of knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where we, and that's where we end up, and we find, and we find out that we've already been in the last couple issues when we get to X Men Year One Thousand. Correct. We're here with the librarian, mm-hmm. a different form of Nimrod. It's now kind of just this floating sentient creature. Mm-hmm. It's a like, drone. Drone. That's that's a much better word. Uh. But the librarian, who I don't think they actually introduce as the librarian yet in this, or was that the maybe, last issue? Probably. Uh, maybe I think I think it's been named one time, and I think that was in the last issue. Yeah, because last issue was the four parts where we saw the different four versions of Charles: mm-hmm. Year One, Year Ten, Year One Hundred, Year One Thousand. Yep. Which is where we are now. The librarian's here. And he is on the roof of this building on Nimbus, and something comes out of the nothingness. These black shadows just form in front of him and almost like reverse snap materialize in front of him Mm -hmm. is the best way to say that. And it's the phalanx. I like how they didn't just go cheesy and say we are legion for we are many, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, phalanx is is a is a word in in the English language that doesn't get brought up very often. So, um, but the the first line of dialogue that we see phalanx uh, say is we, and I like how they they keep putting phalanx in in parentheses or brackets. We ate your world mind. Yeah. What the hell does that mean? That they just took in all of the knowledge of that of Nimrod, I think. Mm-hmm. And I I would hope that that doesn't mean they destroyed it, but that they just like ingested it. 
Mm-hmm. I think eight is maybe ingesting and taking in the knowledge. Um, but, you know, they essentially ask the librarian and the people living on Nimrod, like, what do you seek? And one of the elders says, Ascension. And it's like, oh, brutal. What a. When you. Oh. So, sorry to interrupt, but when you look at this top panel, when when Phalanx is asking the question, what does the 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 form that Phalanx is taking remind you of? Well, it kind of looks like Galactus. Thank you. It kind of also has a little, and this is uh, very subtle. In a little bit of a way, it kind of looks like Mother Mold as well. Like you could see, mm-hmm. like the spaceshipy head thing, you know, take the body away. Right, uh, but I'm you know I'm not certain what the reveal of the phalanx is going to be. This is we're charting into new waters here with this book. Um, we get a rundown of the societies and how they work, uh, the planetary societies versus galactic societies. You know, going from machine to the hive to the intelligence to the techna arc to world mind and then phalanx. Um, and then to fill in, the Phalanx is an interstellar society that operates on a galactic scale and represents an, inter- an intellect that has total control of a host galaxy. At the level of society, an intellect exists only to expand its own intelligence by consuming lesser societies and to control the energy needs uh, that expansion demands. If a Phalanx encounters a society that is worth consuming by adding it to its intelligence needs, then ascension occurs. But if a phalanx encounters a society that is not worth adding to its collective, then it will seed that society with a techno-organic virus. That virus will eventually produce a babble spire that will summon a technarch to remove, repurpose that societal waste from the universe. Uh, no, technarchs do not know that they were manufactured to serve the phalanx cause. So... At the top of this page, it says Technarch, an artificial collective intelligence manufactured by a phalanx that was created to classify, order, and assimilate other existing societies. This removal slash repurposing of societies is a Technarch's sole purpose. A Technarch exists as a singular node, often taking the shape of a world, but can be any series of planetary objects or formations called a whatever that is, I cannot pronounce it. I think it's Kitsch. Okay, each kitsch is controlled by an alpha intelligence called a magus. Each technarch believes it is the only technarch in existence, and technarch are invisible to other technarch. So you get to, you go to the next page, and you get to see kind of this hierarchy of civilizations on a, a galactic scale. And this is pretty cool. I, I mean, I, I totally did not expect to see something like this, or this, this to kind of go super sci-fi with it you know what i mean they totally break down like through um symbols how it works Mm -hmm. and how it operates and you can kind of see that a technarch if you take a technarch and lay it over the world mind it becomes a form of phalanx correct so and then of course that same thing can be said with i think there's like intelligence and some forms of the hive can do that as well like mm-hmm. to get from machine to intelligence. So I agree. I love that they give you all the background makes the story huge. To get this much extra detail, I think, is humongous. Totally. 
And then we, of course, get the headline of where we end on the book, which is a quote from Professor X. You must see by now there is no you and I. There is only us. We are together or we are nothing. Do you think that that is a Professor X quote or a Krakoa quote? Ooh. Uh, Be- because we get to see Krakoa as a sentient being later on well, I mean, in, it's, in, in this issue. It says Professor X. But is it Krakoa influencing him? That's what, is what I'm, I'm wondering, getting at. too. Absolutely. I fully, fully agree with you on the po- possibility of the influence of that line. Uh, all in all, though, man, these books back-to-back are a fun read. This series is... Like I said, picking up steam, it's huge. People are selling this fucker out. They're doing second and third and fourth prints of these books. Which is awesome. You know, that's that's great for the X-Men. Huge win. Humongous win for them across the board. Uh, well, brother, is there anything else we want to dive into before we get out of here? No, I I think we've covered pretty much everything. Not uh, true. I want to... Re- what do you mean? I just remembered one thing I wanted to talk about on the podcast that I haven't talked to you about yet officially. I gave you some like very vapid, loose thing because I watched a movie. Oh, shit. I have not watched that movie yet. Well, I'm going to talk about it and let me be the king of unpopular opinions for a second because this movie made my brain hurt. Okay. There are parts of this film I loved. Absolutely thought it was stunning. I thought they did a great job in some some regards. However, that is the weakest, sorriest excuse for a story that I've ever seen. It does a poor job of thinly tying together themes that they want you to care about in the last second. And okay. they shit the bed unequivocally in the ending. Of course, I'm talking about... X-Men Dark Phoenix. Here's the thing, man. Like, an hour into this movie, I was about to text you and go, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I fucking love this movie. Because it was doing enough for me. You know what I'm saying? But now, I just, I don't think so. It was, it was shit. It was properly shit. The movie was... In fact, shit. That's all I can say is the movie was shit. So so it was everything that, that, that we expected it to be is basically what you're saying. Oh, man. It's just, like I said, when you have the opportunity to deliver a solid story and you fall that flat on the ending, you shit the bed. Yeah. Like, fully without question. And that's that's exactly what happened. There is no wonder this movie did so poorly and was pulled from theaters. There are a lot of concepts that were cool. You know what I think really bothered me, too? Go on. They took, without meaning to, of course, this movie has been in production since before some of these movies came out, keep in mind. There were enough things in this movie stolen from other movies, though. Like, there's a race that's essentially the Skrull. They don't get called Skrull. I think they were going to be Skrull. Captain Marvel prevents that from happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had... A whole the whole concept of you have a team, but now the team splits up and everybody's on opposite sides, like Civil War. Right. 
Everybody comes back together like Endgame to win the day and defeat the boss with an ultimate sacrifice at the end, as it were. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is just a knockoff of a lot of other better movies. It uh, it could have been great. They really fell short on the ending, and that's my critique of it. Go see it to judge for yourself, but I think there's... It, it, Tyler, if you saw it, you would watch it and go, man, there are parts of this movie I fucking love, but... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Fuck. Man, that, that that is so unfortunate because, you know, movies like The Last Stand, X2 left such a bad taste in our mouth for as 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 far as the X-Men is confirmed or is concerned you know I, I i think you would agree with me like a lot of fans would agree you know that first X-Men movie though it's not perfect has a lot of flaws it hit us in all the right places which primed us to be ready for Iron Man and you know, the Incredible Hulk and that, that first Avengers movie and Captain America and Thor. You know, if we did not have that first X-Men movie, the MCU would not be where it's at today. Um, or if it, it, it would not be in the same capacity that it is today, I don't feel like. So it's really sad that a franchise like the X-Men, you know, one of the most popular and important franchises for Marvel, has you know, as far as cinematically ended as poorly as that. It's like you, sw- it's like you race a perfect race in NASCAR. It's the Indy 500 and you've run 499 laps. Pretty good. Sure. Mm. There were a couple times where you towards the back of the pack had to fight your way to the top, but there was a moment there where you were surging and then you blew a tire with one lap to go and ended up rolling your car 7,000 times. <laughs> Womp Womp. Womp Womp is exactly the best review for that movie. It's a big Womp Womp. Beautifully stunning. There are some cool moments. Some of the ideas are cool. Some of the concepts are nice. Like, it's fun. I think that it was a good cast with a shitty movie. That's another thing, too. I really enjoy a lot of the cast. Mm-hmm. Like, I like James McAvoy. I love Fassbender. I, I, really, I really do like Sophie Turner quite a bit. Um... Ty Sheridan has grown on me, especially since I really liked Ready Player One. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so these you know these characters, man, they had an opportunity to wow me, and unfortunately, uh, Fox said this is what we can do with properties. <laughs> That's unfortunate. How was how was uh, Michael Fassbender's performance in the film? Star of the movie. Perfect. He absolutely steals the show. He steals the scenes. There are so many absolutely moving moments for him. That he's one of the reasons that I redeem this movie as much as I do. His performance is spectacular. That's all I have to say about that, Tyler. You got anything else to add, brother? No, I, I look forward to watching Dark Phoenix and, and, and having that, that conversation um, about how great the movie could have been. Uh, about what it could have done for for the franchise, uh, or you being the king of unpopular opinion, you might come back and say that you loved it. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll like it. I doubt it. Um, the Dark Phoenix, like a quick, quick kind of diatribe here. the The Dark Phoenix storyline is something that is incredible. It only needed to be done once, like once ever. Like that is the swan song 
of X-Men stories, you know, um, for a lot of people. You know, there, there, there's great ones out there, obviously. Um, but you're telling me that with all the material in the X-Men and all the writers in Hollywood, the only story that you have... That 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 you can that you can write with impact and 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 you know really mean anything, is that one storyline? Come on. Yeah, and it, of course the reason is that the Dark Phoenix story revolves around Scott's love for Jean and yeah, and the ultimate uh, you know, whatever back and forth that they have with each other. But uh, this movie, another thing, the pacing was off, like. I agree with you that one of the most impactful stories in X-Men history is the Phoenix slash Dark Phoenix story. She debuts as Phoenix in X-Men 101. It's not until X-Men, I think, 135 that she becomes Dark Phoenix, and then that starts to happen and take over. Or, no, no, it's 105, and then by 135, 136, and 137, they're ending Mm -hmm. that story arc with uh, Jean having the Phoenix removed from her or whatever. But, uh, no, man, they, uh, they did not pull from their source material good enough. They really didn't, and uh, they really wanted you to feel the impact in this story, but they did not give you enough substance to do so. Damn. Yeah, it's a and it's a it's a it's a real boner killer. <laughs> that blows. Well, no, it doesn't, because a a boner with not a boner is is not blowable. I mean, it's just weird. <laughs> Semantics, my man, semantics. I guess, I guess I'm battling semantics now, folks. All right, well, as always, you can check out the Journey Into Comics podcast on the Journey Into Comics network at journeyintocomics.com. Get us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, Spotify, CastBox, TuneIn, and many others. Just search Journey Into Comics network. One feed is all you need. You get all of our amazing shows right here every day of the week coming at you live through the power of Podbean. And you can also go to patreon.com backslash journey into comics. Give us a buck or more for early access and exclusive content and all kinds of goodies, including phone calls from me where I'll tell you how to podcast and shit. I don't know if I can podcast and shit, but at least I'll try. Uh, I think that's going to do it. This week's episode of Journey into Comics has been Journey into Comics 260 Big Pop Apocalypse. I have been Nate. And I've been Moira McTaggart. <laughs> As always, folks, <laughs> pop your caps back, fill your brains with shit, be regenerated, live your life again knowing you're going to fill your brains with shit, fill your brains with shit a little bit sooner, and then pop your caps back one last time in your 10th life and fill your brains with shit. Later, guys. Later. Later.